I want you to think about your last breakup. Actually, scratch that. I want you to think about your worst breakup, the worst breakup you've ever had in your life. Think about all that pain, all those tears, all that frustration. Imagine if you could bottle up all that emotion and pour it into a microphone. When Amy Winehouse released Back to Black on the 27th of October 2006, this is exactly what she did. Amy was already in a miserable place musically. Her debut album Frank had been critically successful, award-winning even, but there was just one problem. Winehouse hated the album. Island Records had overruled her preferences for the songs and mixes to be included, robbing her of any freedom. She felt like the music business was pushing her to be something very different, something she wasn't. In her words, the marketing for Frank was fucked, the promotion was terrible, and everything was a shambles. As she told interviewers, she didn't even have a copy of the album in her own house. She began drinking and using drugs heavily. Her grandmother, one of the fixtures in her life, fell ill with lung cancer, and Amy began slipping into addiction. And just when things couldn't get any worse, her boyfriend dumped her to go and chase his ex. If there was a rock bottom, this was it. She turned to music. Long afternoons playing pool in Camden bars, listening to 60s girl groups like the Shangri-Las, the Crystals, they inspired her writing. Like these girl groups of yesteryear, Winehouse poured out her anguish in her music, selling heartbreak to the masses. She enlisted the help of Mark Ronson and the Dap Kings on her tracks, taking charge of both her next album and her life. Back to Black is Amy Winehouse's love letter to her ex and future husband, to the music world, and to all of us. It would go on to sell 16 million copies worldwide and influence a massive wave of British soul in the late 2000s that would bring other artists such as Adele and Duffy to the top of the charts. But though she was often imitated, Amy Winehouse was never duplicated in her songwriting, her persona, or her impact, and Back to Black remains her inarguable masterpiece. Which is why it's a little surprised that no one seems to remember an album released four days later by Kevin Federline called Playing With Fire. The album would go on to sell 16,000 copies total worldwide and is currently the lowest rated album of all time on Metacritic. Just why oh why did this Kevin Federline album do so poorly? Has Back to Black got anything in common with Playing With Fire? And is there a chance this Kevin Federline album is actually good? As Amy would say, no, no, no. Welcome to When Albums Collide. Welcome to the When Albums Collide podcast. Judbo as with you, and I'm joined, as ever, with Pedro Duran. Pedro, how's things, man? Um, they're terrible. They're terrible. <laughs> they, well, they're actually bad. No. They're actually bad for Well, once. no. This is like last week you told me that <laughs> that every time I say, I'm good, I'm good. So I just wanted to switch it up. No, they're fantastic, man. Um, I'm, I'm healthy. We're all good. So It's good to know. We are in um, stage four lockdown in Victoria, true. Australia at the moment. And I this was actually planned. I talked to the state government and I said, yo, not enough people listening to the podcast. Do you think we could get people to stay inside for a little bit longer? Um, work something out. So my man, Dan Andrews, helped me out there. But we have a very, very big album to cover today. Perhaps the biggest flop of all time. And I knew that we couldn't handle it by ourselves. I had to enlist some additional help. And that's why we've got Matt DiGennaro joining us on the podcast. Matt, how's things? They were really good until I listened to this album. Now things are not as good. Uh, So for people who don't know you, and I can't imagine there are many people on the globe that don't know who you are, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast live from the Beach Bungalow. Great. Yeah. So we, I, um, I produce and co-host a podcast live from the Beach Bungalow. It's an American podcast and, um, it's comedic in nature. We basically are just one of those shows that do lists, but uh, we're just a little bit quirky and different from everybody else. So every week we pick a different prompt and we take turns kind of providing answers to that prompt in a very humorous and lighthearted way. For example, we recently did one that was, what would you do if you were a ghost? And um, we're doing one this week of secret branches of the U.S. government. So stuff like that, mm. where it's kind of, it's meant to be fun, but um yeah, so it's it's good stuff, but I uh, 
I listened to When Albums Collide, and I had to get on here to talk about K-Fed, my boy. And we appreciate the um, hefty donation you made to the to the podcast to get on the show, um, and that is available to anyone that wants to do that. We have Kevin Federline and Amy Winehouse, two very disparate people coming up. Uh, and I was going to crack a beer, because I know it's, it's actually nighttime in the States at the moment, so I was going to crack a beer, and I thought... It might be inappropriate, um, A, because of her crippling uh, history with alcoholism, okay, yeah. and B, also because it's 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. But, you know, we're, we're in lockdown. Why not? So cheers, everybody. Yeah, cheers. Um, Matt, if you want to start us off, what is your history uh, with Amy Winehouse, and what's your history with KFED? Well, I am. So I'm going to be honest, I'm not a music expert by any means. Uh, so I don't want anyone thinking I'm somehow qualified to break this down. <laughs> um, That's good, because either are we. Yeah. That being said, I do have ears and can tell the difference between an Amy Winehouse album and a Kevin Federline album. And <laughs> yeah. there is a difference, let me tell you. But uh, no, I mean, to be honest, Amy Winehouse's music to me, uh, it's not a genre that I typically find myself listening to. But her talent is just so transcendent. Like her voice is just so unique and powerful that you can listen to an album um, like this and and truly appreciate it, even if you don't like that kind of music, because the artistry is just there. Um, and uh, as far as K-Fed's concerned, not like pretty much the opposite of what I just said, <laughs> um, where mm-hmm. if you like hip hop you're not going to like this album. And um, if you like music, you're not going to like this album. But um, <laughs> the only thing, the only thing I knew about this album was I remember being in uh, 2006 high school and being on the bus and someone saying something along the lines of like, Oh yeah, Kevin Federline's album came out. It only sold six copies. And I'm like, I don't know if that's possible, but also I can't discredit that information based off of what I know about <laughs> Kevin yeah. Federline that yeah. worldwide it only sold six copies. So uh, that's pretty much my history. That's hilarious. I, I do want to check. How did you both listen to Playing With Fire, the Kevin Federline album? Because it's not on Spotify, no. that's for sure. And Spotify pays literal pennies on the dollar to every artist. They rip off every artist and they still wouldn't shell out for Kevin Federline's album. Yeah, how do YouTube it? Uh, yeah, yeah, same thing. It was on YouTube. Um, it wasn't on Spotify, anything, title. So I just listened to it one go because somebody just uploaded the album. The entire file, yeah. 40 minutes in one go, which is a big pill to take. Yeah. That is a large pill to swallow. I do have one complaint about the YouTube video, which is that apparently there is an interlude that was not included. So I don't know if this is an accurate review for me do you feel ripped off <laughs> there's also a hidden track and an unreleased track i didn't get that god damn yeah, what gives? Yeah. um pedro uh amy winehouse and uh kevin federline where do you sit with them i'm in a, an agreement with matt with amy winehouse uh my relation to her is very scant i mean i've heard rehab on the radio a bunch of times because it was a massive hit and um i think by the time she was really on my radar I had the opportunity to listen to her album. She had already passed away. For me, her reputation was uh, a, a lot bigger than her, her music to me. But if you listen to the album, like Matt was saying, like she is super talented. She has such a unique voice. We'll get into it, but the sound of the album as well, I think is a big part of why it was so successful. And um, I attribute that to, well, a big part to Mark Ronson. So, and I like Mark Ronson and, um, I've been a fan of his for a bit. You know, in 2003, he had an album that came out called uh, Here Comes the Fuzz, which I had back in the day. Of course, like now, Mark Ronson, you hear tracks that he's produced like Uptown Funk with Bruno Mars, and you definitely hear that that funky kind of old school sound. You know, I really fucking hate that song. Really? Just as as a general rule, because it's, it's like the chicken dance, yeah. or it's something that I know parents are going to be dancing to at weddings poorly. For 50 years from Yeah, now. I mean, it's, it is it is super, super popular, and it's just, it's a go-to <laughs> for for DJs to play if they want to get the party started, so. What about Kevin Federline? Oh, man, with K-Fed. <laughs> I mean, oh, obviously, everyone knows that he dated, I think he eventually got married to Britney Spears. Yes, he did. Yeah, so with that, it was just like, okay, he's just that dude, and I just remember him in the news, and people just kind of shitting on him all the time for being just kind of... um that loser boyfriend, you know, like it was as if the the world was mom and dad and they were always complaining about like all oh, that dickhead of a boyfriend. K-Fed is ruining our young 
talented Britney Spears. A young, sweet Britney. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just knew that when this album came out, it was a flop, a total flop. And I just, I always thought about that. That's why I wanted, I was uh, hoping that we can do this because I knew that it was it was a total shit show. And I've never listened to it. So I was looking uh, super forward to listening to this album. And um, you know what? It doesn't disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> Look. It is truly difficult to put into perspective how poorly this album did. 16,000 copies total worldwide for a major, major release. An album that features the biggest pop star in the world at the time on it, who is also married to the artist and executive produced it. It boggles the mind it only sold 16,000 copies. If you put 2006 Britney Spears and her singing over a four-minute track of me farting into a microphone, I bet I could sell more than 16,000 <laughs> copies. It's crazy that this didn't sell anymore. To put it into perspective, there are more people in history that have won an Olympic medal than there are people with copies of this album. Mm. More people make it to the base camp of Mount Everest every single year than have ever listened to this album. This is truly the king of all flops. This is an immense record. I can't wait to get into it. But before we get into it, guys, I just think we should do a brief little refresher on who the hell is K-Fed. I think that would be wise. I think that would be prudent. So, <clears throat> if you weren't paying attention to Britney Spears' love life for a brief two-year period in the mid-2000s, you may have missed out on the rise and fall of K-Fed, in which case, bully for you. But for the rest of us, here's a brief refresher on just who K-Fed is. A native of Fresno, California, who served as a backup dancer for acts like Michael Jackson, Justin Timberlake, and Destiny's Child. Federline meets Britney Spears, and in 2004, after just three months of dating, Federline and Spears announced their engagement, getting married two months later. Due to the fact that Federline got into a relationship with Spears when his ex-girlfriend, Shah Jackson, was pregnant with Federline's second child, the romance between Federline and Spears received intense attention from the media and apparently some Australian music podcasts, with accusations of Federline leaving Jackson when she was pregnant to get with Spears and that Federline was a gold digger. Cue the Kanye. After their swift divorce, K-Fed tried his hand at acting, including a stint on WWE Raw opposite John C and a whirlwind performance on drama One Tree Hill where he starred as Jason J-Fed Federline. That's not a joke. Here's some actual dialogue from his appearance. Thank you, Jason. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been so good. You think you were good? The only reason people were clapping is I told them you were retarded. You're just upset because the talent left your band. Come on. not as upset as I am that you left your granny panties in my bed. He wasn't done yet because in November 2011, K-Fed appeared on a weight loss show in Australia called Excess Baggage. I will let the ad speak for itself. He was a dancer, a rapper, a model. He was the guy who married Britney. Now he's divorced with five kids and drinking 24 cans of soft drink a day. He's K-Fed and tuned with an everyday Aussie. He'll fight his fat, face his demons, and change his life forever. The wait is over. Oh, but he'll have to do better than that. The wait is over! The feel-good show of 2012, Nine's Excess Baggage. And I swear to God, I didn't edit either of those clips. As of 2013, he's married to former volleyball player Victoria Prince, with whom he has his fifth and sixth children, and from all reports, he's a pretty good dad, so that's all I know about Kevin Federline. That's the bare minimum of research I had to do on him. As for my relationship with Amy Winehouse, a little bit different and a little bit sentimental for me. So I had a girlfriend in high school. I was also in high school, by the way, just to clear that up. Uh, I wasn't 35 at the time. (laughs) But she kind of looked like Amy Winehouse and she did like the eyeliner and all that big hair and all that. So I'm super drawn to it. But as a result, I got into Amy Winehouse and uh, a lot of those songs are that sort of period of my life. So uh, I'm excited to get into it. Are you guys ready to break it down track by track? Yes, for sure. Let's Let's do it. Starting off with a bang, Rehab, probably her most famous song. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. And I was thinking, 
Gosh darn, she makes alcoholism seem so cool. In the same way that Guns N' Roses make heroin seem like the coolest thing in the world, what a great hobby, alcoholism and addiction seems great when Amy Winehouse is singing about it. Yeah, it was, yeah it's wonderful, but... Yeah, I mean, when I, as I said, like I never really listened to this album prior, and this was the this song was massive, and it, it is a catchy song, probably her most famous song. Not my favorite Amy Winehouse song. We'll get into that a little bit later. Did you? I don't know if you guys saw in the research how they came up with the hook. Basically, she was recording with Mark Ronson, and she was talking about how they literally wanted to take her back to rehab. And she was like, you know, I don't want to go back to rehab. And she says, no, no, no. And then Mark Ronson was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. So he went to the studio, produced a beat. And then the next day, they just put it all together, came out with the song. So I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that story, because part of me wants to tell Mark Ronson to stop worrying so much about making music and help his friend. (laughs) But in the same vein, he was right. And he created a massive hit out of it. So I don't know. I don't know where to fall on this album, you know, as a whole, because it's clearly exploiting Amy Winehouse in a massive state of depression. And she's clearly struggling with alcohol and drug abuse. So uh, as much as it's a classic album, it also is very painful almost to listen to. But she created something that was so genuine and so truthful that, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough, really, because from her disastrous state of mind came this beautiful piece of artwork. I like imagining Mark Ronson as like a cartoon wolf and then she's talking about like this rehab thing and like dollar signs come up in his eyeballs yeah. like, oh my ching. <laughs> yeah. You're right, because it's it's a lot of this album is about her breaking up with someone, the, the love of her life, and then spiraling into depression. There's nothing fake here. It's not like she's putting on a story or a character. This is actually her life we're listening to, which makes it all the more powerful. Contrast that with the opening of Kevin Federline's Playing With Fire called Intro. And from the very first two lines, I knew we were in for a treat. (laughs) He sings, I'm a pirate on the seas. Call me Captain Hook. Everything belonged to me. Every cranny and nook. (laughs) Audible belly laughs from me. Jesus Christ, that was some good stuff. (laughs) And by the way, there are like four references to the Caribbean Sea, to sailing the ocean on this track. Did he just get out of watching The Curse of the Black Pearl or something like right before he recorded this? Like, does KFED have a history of piracy that I am heretofore unaware of? I love that it just kept going. It was like the end of the first verse. And I was like, oh, we're still doing the pirate thing. Okay. Oh, there's a theme. <laughs> Where I'm from to the Caribbean Sea, the world is mine. Everything belonged to me. Yeah, yeah. like he loves it. So I, I it's it's a funny, it's, a, it's an incredible way to open up a hip hop or, or rap album. You know, to uh, uh, reference uh, a character from a from a Disney movie. Yeah, it's not the most gangster thing I've ever heard. Um, but what did you think of the track in in general? The these opening bars, as as the kids would say. I thought that it sounded like um, a Snoop Dogg ripoff and like a Dr. Dre beat. If Dr. Dre was like using GarageBand <laughs> in his mother's basement. Yeah. The production, I was like, these beats sound like they were trying to imitate what was hot at the time. I don't know if they didn't ever they did not record them in a studio or something, or they just hooked up some like old school Mac and then just used Fruity Loops or something like that. Yeah, it just sounds very C grade, Dr. Dre, maybe Scott Storch type of vibe all throughout mm. the album. It's interesting because when you listen to Back to Black, it's a very timeless sound because they got the Dap Kings of Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings fame, very famous like soul funk band. They got Mark Ronson or Salam Remy producing it. Like this album, Back to Black, like a, a song like You Know I'm No Good, that could have come out this year. It could have come out in 2006. It could have come out in 1976. Like it sounds. It's just, it's music that is timeless. Kevin Federline is very of its time, and it has aged not very well. You can you can hear, uh, you know, the 50s, 60s pop influence in Amy Winehouse, and she even references Ray Charles in that first track. You can hear mm-hmm. the Ray Charles influence. And with K-Fed, it's not just an influence. It almost feels like he's just trying to rip sounds. Like, later there's a song where I'm like, oh, this is... This is Ludacris's cadence. Like this is exactly what a Ludacris track sounds like, except it's Kevin Federline. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I think that sums up the the album. Um, it's just 
with Kevin. I'm gonna call him K Fed because I, I just can't really. It, it's really you're on a first name basis with this. Yeah, dude it's just so with K Fed, it's just him just saying what's hot. I'll do my take of it. But the thing that I mean it really sucks is that I don't know. Was he really cursing that much? I don't know if I, I really. I think he might have cursed here and there, but it just seems so kind of clean in in the subject matter that he talks about. Um, in the sense of there's not real elements of danger or any bite to it. A lot of it is just like him just talking like, oh, the media hates me and it's it, it sucks being the most hated person. I think he literally has a song called America's Most Hated or something on this. But it's just it, it's just it's just kind of lame. All the shit that he has to talk about. I mean, he was wise enough to not use one particular racial epithet. Oh, man. Um, he realized that he probably couldn't get away with that. Yeah. Um, that would be amazing. If he, imagine, imagine. <laughs> well done. Yeah, if he would have started dropping the N-word just like all throughout the album, you're like, oh, You know I'm no good. Fantastic song. It sounds like it could be from the 50s, whereas Kevin Federline, you know, his stance on women is certainly from the 50s, which is, you know, that's that's a nice little retro throwback. Yeah. But you know I'm no good, my, my high school girlfriend's favorite song and sentence. A phenomenal song about cheating, about sneaking out to be with her ex, even though her boyfriend knows about it. And I really like the lines, um, you shrug and it's the worst, who truly stuck the knife in first. So she like cheats on him so much, he's just like, yeah, whatever, man, mm-hmm. like you do you now, so that, and that hurts her. What I like is Amy Winehouse's persona, where she's not some like pushover, like I feel like Taylor Swift and Adele, very like mopey, singing about their mm-hmm. love. And she's not like this infallible diva with no remorse, like Rihanna or Dua Lipa or something. She's a human person that makes mistakes. She realizes she makes mistakes, but she's not a pushover. By the way, because she inspired a lot of these new singers like Duffy or Adele was heavily inspired by Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Yeah. I think Amy Winehouse takes a big, fat, steaming dump all over Adele. I think she's way better than Adele. That's just my personal opinion. What did you think of, of You Know I'm No Good? I loved it. It was I thought it was dope. It, it's another one of those uh, throwback tracks, and, and uh, it reminded me of early Ray Charles. I love how the horns were used in the, in the song, and um, yeah, it was interesting what you're saying, Judd. Like you know, um, a lot of these singers taking the stance of "Oh, I'm sorry," or the relationship ended. Now I'm sad and stuff. But I, I can't really recall a singer of this caliber just being just um accepting the faults of like listen i cheated i'm the one that fucked up and all these things i'm the i'm the reason why this relationship isn't healthy uh, yeah i thought it was an interesting stance because yeah the album is uh the whole theme of the album is about love and relationships is and things like that but she uh speaks on different perspectives of it whether it be you know like she's the person in the in the fault at fault cheating on this person who's been treating her really well or you know later on she'll uh, sing about the person that's leaving her for an ex-lover and now she's dealing with the depression of it and resorting to uh, drugs and alcohol to deal with her uh, uh, her emotions so yeah I thought it was uh, I thought it was hella dope uh, dope song yeah I completely agree I personally enjoyed this song more than uh rehab and i actually it's funny that you said adele judd because i wrote down adele but i i i kind of agree with you adele always seems to have to force power into all of her vocals and it comes so natural to amy winehouse specifically in this song yeah i i I really dug this track I, i like um i like the chorus i i like the storytelling and it really ties really well until the remainder of the album, her her talking about how she let this one get away and the back and forth between feeling guilty and feeling angry and feeling sad about it. It's, it's all very well put together. Just want to double check. Did you also use the term big fat steaming dump uh, in your notes? Or? <laughs> I did. What are the odds? <laughs> uh, it's like we finished each other's sandwiches. Oh, actually, sorry. I, that was written under America's most hated. <laughs> oh, nice. America's Most Hated, what an odd song this is, with lyrics like, huh, who told this bastard he can't rap? I got 50 mil, I can do whatever I want. (laughs) This is interesting, because he's doing the usual, like, I'm a bad person, I have flaws, but I'm rich. Isn't it his wife's money that he's bragging about? It's not his money, it's that he married a really rich lady who gave him all this money. What an odd brag. It's it's very odd, and it's like, dude, you're a backup dancer. 
Yeah, like, isn't that crazy? This is your first album. You are not independently wealthy, man. Like this is Britney Spears' money. <laughs> and it's funny, we're just talking. You know I'm no good. Amy, despite cheating, um despite repeatedly going back to her ex, you feel sympathetic towards her that it's something out of her control. Whereas I sympathize with some war criminals more than I sympathize with Kevin Federline. <laughs> there is nothing remotely in him that I would sympathize with. Yeah. This has my favorite uh, rhyme scheme, though. He rap- he raps, fact, back, rap, want, want, want. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, where does rap fit into all of that? It doesn't rhyme with either of those things. <laughs> poetry. Poetry in motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of famous rappers, continuing on Back to Black, Amy Winehouse, me and Mr. Jones, writing a song about the rapper Nas, who she had a brief encounter with. Um, Very another soulful song, very old-style song. Uh, What did you guys think? Yeah, so uh, this is the first time uh, I've heard this song. Did she really, like, hook up with them, or did they date for a bit? Yeah, they they have photos together, like, they're holding hands. Oh, okay, because when I was... I mean, I don't think it was that serious. Yeah, yeah. because when I was going through, I just... Nothing confirmed that they dated it was just she basically had a crush on him so i was assuming like oh it was just a crush or you know nothing nothing crazy but oh that's super fascinating but yeah i thought i really liked this song when i first read the the title me and miss mr jones i i mean it's an obvious homage to one of my favorite songs me and mrs jones by uh billy paul and um that's an it's like a song from 1972 mrs jones mrs jones mrs jones mrs jones I really, I have that on my, like my personal playlist. I really love this song. So I mentioned like I never listened to this album. So when I read the title, I thought it was a, a, a cover of that. But I was super surprised to hear about the subject and everything. I love the fact that she mentions uh, Slick Rick. Like I missed the Slick Rick show because of you. Yeah, I thought I, I loved it. I, I thought it was super dope. And great insight into uh, into the relationship. Yeah, I can imagine it's it's quite powerful too. like this amazingly talented woman that writes these beautiful songs about you. She just has, she obviously like latches onto people mm. and has immense crushes and like infatuations and so much that she just has to pour it out into music. I think it's very um, cool and attractive. Yeah. Uh, Matt, did you have any comments? Yeah, I, I had read that they wanted to call this song fuckery. Yeah, yeah, yeah they did. That's interesting. Because she says it in the, in the song. What kind of fuckery are we? Nowadays, you don't Maybe they thought that was a little bit too un-PC for 2006. Yeah, I don't know how you put that on an album back then. Nowadays, you get away with it. Oh, certainly. We're talking about relationships, and we are going to have to address the elephant in the room, which is that Mr. Spears, nae Federline, it comes to a head in the song Snap, where he raps, Chicken heads, they scare me, trying to get near me. Like, Kev, you still married? Yeah, bitch, you can holler and call security. Jeez. Well, Kevin... You are still married for the next seven days at least. Britney Spears filed for divorce from Kevin Federline one week after this album was released on November 7th, 2006, citing irreconcilable differences. My goodness, he would go on to finagle $20,000 a month in child support payments. Matt, as I understand it, you've recently gotten married to, I assume, the love of your life. I did, and I can't wait to release my album, Playing With Fire, (laughs) and hopefully not get divorced. First of all, massive congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. That's really wonderful to hear. Are you the K-Fed, or are you the Britney Spears in this relationship? Wow, that's a loaded question. (laughs) I'm going to play it safe, and I'm going to say I'm the K-Fed. Good man, good answer. If she listens to this, good answer. Yeah, exactly. She does. She really likes the show. Um... I loved that he called the paparazzi the fuckerazzi. That's kind of like the, you know, the antipathy of Amy Winehouse's fuckery. <laughs> yeah. It is, yeah. They're linked in so many ways. <laughs> it's really the parallels are uncanny. But yeah, I love the idea of Kevin just snapping his fingers all the time. I love that. I think I like the line, remember the name Kev Fed? I ain't even drunk. The media want Kev dead. So once again, the media is out to get him. Love that. So powerful. Yeah, it brings a tear to the eye. It really does. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, it's like we, we should feel bad for K-Fed. He's, um, he's just been through so much and uh, he's just being picked mm. on. I was always curious about what the process was. So he meets Britney Spears, they get married. And then like what led to the fact 
that he recorded album was it him that was just like i want to record a rap album or was it maybe britney or people on her team that was just like listen you're with the biggest pop star in the world at the moment we need to do something <laughs> you know you need to put out an album yeah. you need to start being in movies or something i'm sure it was him yeah you know but you've been in relationships where your partner is like oh baby i want to start making kombucha or i want to do a podcast or you know what i want to start doing stick and poke tattoos in the garage yeah. and you're like yeah that's a great idea yeah yeah it's totally do it and then halfway through you realize what a horrible idea it was but it's too late yeah. you've already given your encouragement Brittany had already paid all the money for the studio mm. time she couldn't pull out so she oh yeah this sounds great baby anxiously looking at a way to recoup all the money she just wasted on the studio right but you would think that if it that someone would just be like all right we're gonna write all this for you and you just you just record because this is what you're writing is garbage. Oh uh, no, but like I can I can tell that this is him writing it because what it sounds like he's arguing with like Quincy Jones like no no I think I need more references to pirates I need more cowbell <laughs> no but I can tell that it's him writing this because it sounds like a dude that listens to rap right he's a, he's an amateur basically but he's just he's going by the stereotypical rap cliches like i got the money i got the girls and stuff like that and i mean yeah he's just not skillful at all you know the rhymes are are like dimes and something something mine and i got all the time you know it's it's there's not like double entendres there's not like these sick metaphors and stuff like that he's just basically picking out beats that are just popular at the time um and it, it just clearly shows I, I felt like he was listening to a lot of 50 cent at this time because i got like a big 50 cent vibe or like a dirty south vibe like uh like you were mentioning matt there's a song that where he sounds like ludicrous and i'm just like all right well you know it would have been better to listen to ludicrous on this track instead of uh instead of k-fed you don't think hotter than a pizza oven is a good metaphor <laughs> no i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> all right now we're gonna take a pause for the calls we'll be back with more when albums collide G'day. How's it going? Nice to meet you. I'm Stu. I'm Chris. I'm Dave. And we're the Pool Boys. We're the hosts of Pool, Pool Boys Recommend. Recommend. It's a podcast where we suggest stuff to each other. We do it and then we review it. You remember like show and tell at school? It's kind of like that, but this week I had a mental breakdown. <laughs> You're a music lover, Stu, okay? I am, yes. What is this going to be? And so I want you to listen to B-52's seminal classic Love Shack 100 times. Uh, One. Oh my god. You know, it's just when you're going to sleep, when you're having a shower. 100 times. You can start playing it now, maybe. Oh my god. You, you have you're only yourself to blame if next episode I come back on the air and I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? Here's another cheeky little clip for you. Oh, this podcast is great. That was a dramatization of you enjoying the podcast in the future. When you check out Pool, Pool Boys Recommend. Recommend, find us on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Google Podcasts, Podcasts and even our own website. You know where to get podcasts. Come yeah, on, come on. You're listening to one now. Back on the show, and we've enlisted the help of special guest Matt DiGennaro from live from the Beach Bungalow to talk about Kevin Federline's Playing With Fire. It's up against a monumental task, comparing it to Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. And on that album, you have a song like Just Friends. She goes through all the stages of, like, breakup, depression, grief, acceptance, bargaining, the other one that I've forgotten. She does it all on this, on this album. And Just Friends is a fantastic song where... She's trying to move on, and she doesn't know if they can still be friends. Like a simple idea, but she just sings it really beautifully. Yeah, um, I was digging the, the particularly the outro on this song. It's great production. Like we were saying before, you know, it's it's an album about love and relationships, but she tackles it from different perspectives, whether it be the person who is at fault for making the relationship crumble or after relationship's over and she's wondering or questioning the other person in the relationship can we just be friends yeah it's, it's a it's a it's a great song this was actually my least favorite song on the album mm. 
Boo. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I just thought that the I thought the horns were just overpowering in this song. No, I totally yeah. get that. It is I, it's not like one of the strongest songs for sure. Um so that is that's so fair. Like and I think when she comes when you've just come off like rehab and you know I'm no good and me and Mr. Do- like I understand it's oh yeah, it's it's no, I'm not crazy about it. Mm. I'll tell you what I'm not crazy about. Lose control by Kevin Federline. <laughs> More bragging about money that isn't his. He only really has one song which is talking about cars and money Mm -hmm. and that's it but he talks a lot i don't know if you guys noticed this he talks a lot about pancakes three times i counted three pancake references on this album he's the pancake man pancake this pancake that i've never heard the phrase pancake so much on an album i'm rich but my hustle is like a broke bitch never knowing what the pancake man gonna flip now you guys are from the united states you know i'm just a simple country boy from alice springs australia is this some really cool urban slang that didn't make it over to Australia? No. Uh, that's, pancakes that's are great. <laughs> yeah, pancakes are delicious. Um, they can be uh, served with strawberries or chocolate chips. But Kevin Farrelline, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Like, I heard that and I was like, what are you trying to go for, man? Are you trying to, like, make up a new moniker for yourself, the Pancake Man? And, and but why? What does that mean? Like, you have <laughs> dough or... Or yeah, flapjacks. Like it just makes no sense. And I and I realized that he mentions it uh, uh, quite a bit. And I was like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Is he just sitting at home making breakfast for Brittany and the kids? And it's just like, yeah, pancakes. Uh, you know, I'm gonna put this in my rap schemes <laughs> or something. I just I just did not get it at all. Do you think he had some money under the table from Denny's or IHOP or one of those pancake places? Well, let me tell you, he's probably the pancake man now because he uh, has to do a shift at Denny's or High. Uh. <laughs> you know that he's blissfully unaware of himself when he has a line on this song, I ain't here to brag. I'm like, um, what have you been doing Dude. this whole time? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is crazy. <laughs> I, I, I wrote that in my notes because he goes, I've never been to Denver, but I rock them nuggets. One earring costs more than your budget. I ain't here to brag. And then he continues to brag. He goes, I'm just here to pop tags. My Ferrari costs more than your little S-Class. Look, man, I'm in a whole nother tax bracket. It don't matter what you blow. Boy, you can't match it. I was like, all right, man, like, whatever, like tax bracket but yeah once you get divorced you're like trust me you're back to uh you know under ten thousand dollars a year so <laughs> and l- let's get back to some real music and the titular track on back to black they wrote this whole song in a few hours it takes me a few hours to change my bed sheets <laughs> and they wrote a world beating classic song in a couple hours they just thought of it just thought it up what i love about this song in particular, and but the whole album. Besides the fact that you're never going to hear Taylor Swift singing He Kept His Dick Wet on a song in this lifetime. But it's also free of a lot of the conveyor belt sweatshop pop sound you get where everything is just, oh, you rhyme this with this and then you do the chorus. Like Rihanna hires out a resort in the Bahamas and she flies 25 people there to rhyme words with umbrella. Amy just writes it out. So she goes to the US, as Pedro mentioned, to work with Mark Ronson, and they did like five songs on this album in four days, much faster than they've ever done any record before. And it's this big storm of emotions. There's no workshopping or flowcharts or brainstorming sessions or synergy. It's just someone is going through the absolute worst breakup of their life, and they're bleeding it out onto vinyl. Mm. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. There's a great clip of Mark Ronson, and he's talking about the chorus of Back to Black, and he's questioning her why it doesn't rhyme. I didn't really question the lyrics. The only thing as a producer, you're inbuilt to think that like everything should rhyme because that's like pop structure. And I remember when she sung me the chorus of Back to Back, she said, we only said goodbye in words, I died a thousand deaths. I was like, do you think that's weird? Should you change it? She looked at me like a little bit more like dumbfounded, like why would I change it? That is what came out. This is honesty on a piece of paper. When I sit down to write a song, I don't think this will be good. I don't think it sounds a bit like that. I should work that in and make that sound like that. And I don't think I should have that particular line in it. Like, I just sit down and just let it come out, you know what I mean? She's not writing a song. She's just telling her story. And it just so happens that it sounds great on a record. It just goes in, it's just a testament of, of Amy Winehouse, why she... um. Is such a great artist and such a tragedy how everything ended because, you know, she doesn't have to 
particularly follow that traditional rhyme scheme or pop song formula, but she's able to just take her raw emotions, put them out there and uh, record classic music and not not just classic music, but also music that people can really feel. I thought this was one of the best tracks on the album. For me, I think this was uh, my favorite song off the album. Yeah, this is definitely up there for me as well. My favorite line is when she says, you go back to her and I go back to us. I thought that was really powerful. Like she's like clinging, she can't let go. Like she says the memory yeah, of them yeah. together. And uh, I wanted her to say back to black so bad. And she doesn't say it in the chorus till the very end. And it felt so good when she finally said it. She was edging you, man. I think that's what they call it in the biz. She was. I was edging the whole <laughs> song. <laughs> we talk about how wonderful the songwriting is, but we can't deny that Kevin Federline, like in songs like Dance with a Pimp, K-Fed shows the listener a masterclass in free, indirect discourse by not only questioning what it is to be the pimp of all pimps, but what it means to dance with one, thus dance with a pimp. Yeah, I heard this and I was like, my first thing was, (laughs) oh no, what are we doing? Baby girl, wanna dance with a pimp, dance with a pimp, dance with a pimp. Right, front to back, you can find me, where's jumping man? Like seriously, man, like I just heard the track, the opener, and I was like, fuck. This is this is not good at all. Rhymes like pockets like my whip, never all empty. Dudes hate K-Fed. Girls love K-Fed. It don't matter to me because K-Fed is K-Fed. I'm like, wow, awesome, man. It's a wonder why this album didn't sell well. Who is ya boy? Or ya boy? Who is ya boy? <laughs> he's a nobody, man. He's a, I don't know, okay. nobody. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I think he's uh, his shift worker or his co-worker that's with him at IHOP right now. Yeah, Denny's. <laughs> Clipping through a lot of these songs, because there's not a lot to say about a lot of these Amy Winehouse songs, except that they're wonderful, because um, they all center around the same themes, that she had broken up with this guy called Blake Fielder Civil, I believe, who, from all accounts, seems like a Class A cockhead, and she just wrote this album about him. Mm. And what was interesting, I also felt that if that Class A cockhead that she was dating wrote an album, it would be called Playing With Fire, and it would sound like this Kevin Federline album. (laughs) This guy that is so unaware of the damage he is doing to people in his life versus the woman that has to put up with his shit but still loves him. Love is a losing game. That could be about Kevin Federline, and he's in the club with some strippers, and she's like, oh, I hate my life. That's a good song. I love the strings at the end of that song. I, li- I like, yeah, the violin at the end is really nice. It's amazing when you look at the, the song credits and you see all of the people playing all of these instruments, and then you go back to Kevin's album, and it's just like two people who <laughs> just like were pressing buttons in a studio somewhere making these beats. Everyone on that album is putting in the least amount of effort. Even Britney Spears on the next track, Crazy, her hook is one of the laziest, worst things Britney Spears has ever done. She was dragged kicking and streaming into the studio by her husband to record a couple lines, and it didn't help the album at all because it's awful. Yeah, I didn't realize they even made a song together because I was listening to this and I was like, is that Britney Spears on the album? And then I had to look it up and I was like, wow, it is Britney Spears on the album. You would have thought in 2006, you know, this is K-Fed's debut, Britney Spears, his wife, the biggest pop star on earth. You would have figured they would have put this as a single or put that out there to uh, generate some buzz for it. But I've never heard this uh, uh, record before. Does anyone know who uh, Bosco is? Because in the beginning of the song, in the intro, he goes, Bosco, we got him on this one, dude. I was like, who the fuck is Bosco? And like, well, like who names uh, their kid Bosco? Like, We don't want to alienate any of our listeners called Bosco, by the way. We love you. We thank you for listening to the podcast. Rate, like, subscribe, Bosco. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <That's awkward. laughs> yeah, Bosco came off like a, a knockoff Warren G for me. It sounded like... That was that song, Privilege, right? I'm getting them confused they all now. Sort of, They're they all, all sound the same. The same. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, you're right. You're absolutely right. The guy Bosco did uh, appear on Privilege. And yeah, he he's like a dollar store, Nate Dogg or Warren G, kind of like this West Coast vocalist. And it's just it's just terrible. A League of My Own, same thing with awful lyrics like, don't get me confused with a lion, man. Keep it real, because I kill like a lion can. Or... 
didn't see me coming because I move like a stealth and Kev like cancer. I'm bad for your health. Oh my god, come uh, on, man. Really, but really bad. Yeah, see. Yeah. But anyway, it was like, oh, it's all the same, it's all the same. And then we finally get to Caught Up. And it's the first song on Kevin Federline's album that isn't about alcohol, cars, or money. And it only took us 33 minutes. I was so amazed. And I was listening to it, and then, uh oh. Oh, this. No, 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 no. This is bad. He sings. And you know I'm not abusive, but sometimes you make me lose it. Never put my hands on you, though sometimes I want to do it. That went from zero to 100 real fucking quick. Real quick. Wow. I imagine Britney is at the album launch party, and this track plays, and she hears this, and she goes, Oh, honey, I'm, I'm just going to go to the bathroom really, really quick. Love you. Love you. I love the album. I'm just going to go. Just going to go pee. Take a tinkle. She goes to the cubicle, immediately phones her divorce lawyer. She's like, get me out of here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> this this album is so bad that you that we do, we're not even going to talk about the song that the, the album is named after. That's how bad this it's album all is. the same. <laughs> I wanted to sorry, I wanted to skip forward to the domestic violence abuse. I was think I was surprised that an an album with the threat of domestic violence against Britney Spears didn't make more headlines. But that requires people to have actually right. listened to this piece of shit album, listen I guess. To, yeah. to listen to the album. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because he has different other lines. He goes, what happened to the sunshine through the bad weather? You wear matte leather, so I know you're depressed. And I'm smoking <laughs> a pack of cigs a day from the stress. When we first met, you was at was my lifetime partner, my life crime partner, my wife, my honor. Now I'm feeling like George Bush and Osama. God. Deep, deep like, stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For all the kids out there, uh, that's, a, that's a timely reference from the 2000s. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it totally dates the, the album, too. Like, it's just George Bush and Osama is like the two people who are probably in the news all the time and uh, have this antagonistic relationship. And he's just like referencing them. Like, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's, it's terrible, guys. Please. It's just it's a it's a it's terrible bad. terrible record. This has one of my favorite lines actually. Before we move on, when he says "chopped up, feeling like a vegetable," <laughs> <laughs> like he's like chopping his vegetables, looking at them, like yeah, me too, buddy. <laughs> I know yeah. how you feel. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, a lot of the songs on Back to Black, I just I'm in love with. Tears dry on their own, a fantastic song. You put it on, big smack of "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." Tammy Terrell, Marvin Gaye. Very quickly sung song, and Amy actually had trouble with this song, Keeping the Tempo, because it's much quicker than a lot of other songs that she had done before. And there are actually outtakes with the producer, uh, Salam Remy, where she's just trying to sing it quickly and just going, fuck, every time she, she stuffs up. Why do I stress a man when there's so many bigger things in here? And again, let me start from the beginning. So there was a lot of uh, mad at the world going on, like, you sing it yourself. Which is really mm. rare for her. She never really stuffed up. An absolutely amazing song. Uh, I, I love Tears Dry on their own. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you obviously hear the Marvin Gaye and the Tammy Terrell sample, Ain't, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. It's a great way to uh, sample the song. The only thing is that I've heard that song so many times that I think... For me personally, this is kind of one of the weaker uh, tracks on the album. That's that's um, totally fair, but you are wrong. Just so, yeah. just so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the lyrics are dope and things like that. It's just the the sample. I was kind of like, oh yeah, I've heard this the sample a million times. So um, it was good. I thought it was better lyrically than it was um, sonically, but I I still really enjoyed it. I agree. I've I've heard that song a lot. Um, I don't know if I've heard it sampled a lot though. So that was kind of a surprise for me. And um, mm. I didn't really appreciate the line where she says, I should just be my own best friend and not fuck myself in the head with stupid men. Um, again, going back to that earlier mm. uh, conversation we had about how honest she is with herself about the situations that she puts herself in and she, how she struggles with, uh, you know, things as a result of her own decisions. Yeah, it's so mm. cool. I didn't know I was doing the podcast with two Philistines that didn't like good music, but that's totally fine. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not hurt or anything by that. Um, really, really good lines. This is obviously about her ex, the ex who had gone back to his ex girlfriend and left her behind. She's dealing with that. Yeah, the alcoholism does poke its head with a couple of these like wake up alone. A lot of liquid imagery, like she's talking spilling, tripping, swimming, drowning. She's drinking a lot heavily, and she's saying, like, oh, I'm keeping busy so I don't think about it, yeah. which is a very common thing in, in breakups. You know, you've you got to keep busy so you don't think about them. Um, but, yeah, 
I think she captures that anguish of a breakup really well. Yeah, definitely. Was there, did you guys look in the research or anything or articles why she was such a big Alki? Was it something like she grew up with? Because I, my understanding was that she had a pretty good uh, relationship with her, with her father. I don't know, maybe her mom as well, but it seemed like she, you know, was pretty good with them. The, the alcoholism is, um, very interesting to me. I wonder if it was just, um the the trauma with all these negative relationships that uh led her to drink i couldn't speculate on her you know addictions or anything i think that would be unfair but i think definitely this guy was a bad influence just Mm -hmm. a real dickwad and he got her and he apparently introduced her to a lot of drugs and and that sort of thing and so when she sings like in the song some unholy war where it's the unpleasant reality of a codependent relationship where she's like even if this guy went to war I would I would follow yeah. him because that's how much I love him. And you can feel like I can feel how much she's in love with this guy in every song even though he's a scumbag. So I think that like oh this person you really love is starting to do heroin and stuff. Well, you're going to be there for them and then also get involved with it or Yeah, it seems like Amy was such a like lack of better words, such a like a down ass chick. She would have been um it would have been interesting to to see if she would have continued uh, I mean, obviously, living with uh, where her music would have gone, and listening to this album, and like and knowing where 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 it ends up in her with uh, her personal life, it would have been it would have been nice to see her get into a really healthy relationship and hear the music that was produced from that experience. Well, you know, she said it would be. I know what you're saying because I was thinking the exact same thing. Like how lovely it would be for for things to work out for Amy, this t- talented person just got caught up. Uh, And she told the Irish Times in 2006, quote, I want to do an album of winsome, pining songs. I like that idea. I don't want to do another record of screw you songs. I'm a very romantic person. And I don't mean romantic in a flowers and chocolates kind of way. It's more like if it's raining, I'll go up to the window and press my nose against the glass and sigh at how beautiful it all looks. Which makes me sad. Because Mm. Amy Winehouse... I know she's like the butt of all jokes now because of how she looked towards the end and, and her behavior, but she wasn't mm-hmm. a bad person. Like she wasn't, mm. I don't think she was a bad person in the way that she was hurting anyone else besides herself. So it, it does make you sad that she didn't get the opportunity to do those songs. I do think that her image has been rehabbed over the years, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, <laughs> especially with uh, with that documentary, Amy. I've, I feel like that really changed a lot of people's opinion on on her and her addiction. And I also think that people are coming around to, to having a better understanding of alcoholism now, where when you see someone who's drunk out of their minds and stoned out of their minds and clearly struggling, you don't think to themselves yourself like, oh my God, like this loser, you think, oh, they have a problem and they need right. help. So I think that just, I think that times are changing and, and I think that people are looking back and and understanding that Amy had Amy had some inner demons. So you know? Matt, what you're saying mm-hmm. is you would like to volunteer to produce and direct Kevin, the rehab of Kevin Federline's <laughs> Dude, image. That would be amazing. <laughs> he he finishes it off his album Playing with Fire with Kept On Talking. I really enjoyed the fact that on lyrics websites like Genius or Metro Lyrics or whatever, a lot of the songs have half finished lyrics. It'd be like the first verse is written out and then someone just gave up on it. It's as if halfway through they realized what a waste of their life it would be to transcribe a Kevin Federline album. They're like, you know what? I'm going to stuff this. And I actually really liked the sample they used on this song. I thought it was great. Kept on talking. I couldn't find what it was, but I love the sample. It's a shame it's the last track and it's the last I will ever, ever hear in my life of Kevin Federline. First and last time on this album for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, let me let me ask you, Jed. Where did you listen to it on? Yeah, YouTube? I was. I listened to the exact same video that you guys listened to. I know for a fact. All right, cool. Because it was just I, because I, I, I thought I had one more track on there, and I thought that was that the was hidden it, track. But... That was the hidden track. Ah, okay. So gotcha. you know, all right. Definitely. For uh, for all the youngsters out there, there used to be these things called CDs or compact discs, where yeah. you would leave it in your CD player and it would continue playing. And even after you'd thought the album had finished, after a brief period of silence, they would bring in a hidden song that wasn't listed. Isn't that cool? I feel very disappointed in myself because I feel like I did extra homework because I had to listen to another <laughs> two minutes of extra. Kevin Federline music, so um, I feel, yeah, really disappointed in myself. Back to Black tapers off for me, because it is, even though it's quite a short, sharp album, it is all centered around the same thing. It's an odyssey of her heartbreak. The only song that's a little bit different towards the end is Addicted, 
which is a fun little song mm. about weed, or it's supposed to be, but it's much more harrowing looking back, even though, you know, it's just, oh, she's just smoking marijuana, and she's saying, oh, tell your boyfriend to stop smoking my marijuana, it's a fun thing. It does point towards some more damaging habits that she would develop, which is uncomfortable to listen to, I guess. Yep, I wasn't a big fan of the song for that exact reason. And I thought it was a weird way to end the album. It was very, it was upbeat. And I was like, that's not what this album was. So that was a strange way to end it. Maybe it was almost like, well, you know, Amy, it's a little bit mopey. It's all a bit sad. Um, maybe just put something cool at the end for us, you know? That, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I, I, I listened to it and I thought maybe they had recorded this song earlier and they just didn't know where to place it in the album. So they just uh, just tacked it on at the end um, because maybe they liked how it came out and, and all these things. But I did like the, the line where she goes, don't make no difference if I end up alone. I'd rather have myself and smoke my homegrown. Oh, it got me addicted. Does more than any dick did. And I was like, all right, that's, I thought I was dope just for, cause I can understand how uh, uh, a female fan of Amy Winehouse can listen to this and be like, yeah, like it's empowering in a way, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, did you guys have any, any tracks that I missed or anything that you, any tracks that you really loved that you'd like to mention? <laughs> I mean, I wrote down a lot of K-Fed lyrics. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to read us uh, maybe a selection that we I might have missed on the on the track by track? Yeah, th- playing with fire. Yeah, playing with fire. Uh, <laughs> playing with fire. Yeah, playing with fire. Uh, that one was good. Uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, I really felt that one. Um, I like original. This one, nuts hang like a necklace. Nuts hang like a necklace, sends you nerds home speckless. That one felt like he definitely had a rhyming dictionary near him nearby. That was actually ghost written um, by Tupac. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I mean, yeah, overall, uh, Amy's album was, um, it, it's actually an injustice. The album was, what, 10 minutes shorter than K- K-Fed's album? Yeah. I mean, what kind of planet are we living on that that would happen? Yeah. What, what merciful God would allow such a yeah. thing? Let's take it to the breakdown here. It might be obvious to anyone with uh, working eardrums why one album is better than the other, but I want to ask you, and I'm going to posit to you, Matt, why was Back to Black successful and why wasn't Playing With Fire successful? There are so many reasons, but... I'll just pick one, which is that one of them is a, is genuine. The artist is genuine and honest and truthful and um, themselves. And the other one is just not. I mean, it, it honestly, I don't know if it would have made much of a difference. But if Kevin Federline had rapped about being a backup dancer and being a nobody who married a superstar, I might have appreciated this a little bit more, even if, the, the talent and the quality wasn't necessarily there. If I could have appreciated the content story-wise, I might have given him a little bit of credit, but it is just so false from, from track one to the very end that it's just garbage. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, very well said. So I would say, I mean, the difference is clear. 16 million copies for Back to Black versus 16,000 copies for Playing With Fire. Mm. That means, you know, zero, what is it, 0.1% of everyone that owns Playing With Fire, <laughs> you know, it is criminal that this uh, this album was released because I assume they both probably cost the same amount to make. Almost, and maybe Kevin Federline's cost a little bit more because he used Britney Spears and production like that. Kevin Federline has nothing sympathetic about him. Even when you look at rappers that aren't necessarily good people, like a 50 Cent or something, that sold drugs shot people they have a roguish charm about them that you can't help but like them that you're on their side you're not on kevin federline's side he gives you nothing that you want to be on his side whereas amy winehouse from the very first song you're on her side despite her battles despite her struggles you're always on her side forgetting about how much better she is as a singer and a musician i think it it boils down to that and it's why people already hated kevin federline just from seeing him as a gold digger, wearing the wife beater, marrying Britney Spears for the money, people already didn't like him. He didn't help his cause at all with the music. Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, 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 those things really uh, taken into account with K-Fed. I mean, with this album, you take the, the, the fact that he just has a negative 
image in the media for all those reasons mentioned. And then he puts out an album and it's, it's an album. I don't know. Full of album, album fillers songs, you know, like nothing, nothing, no song on this album is kind of like, Oh, that's a standout. Even the, the song with Britney Spears, who, like we mentioned before, Britney Spears is the biggest fucking pop star at the moment. I've never heard of it. Never heard that song on the radio or anything, seen a video or anything. And also, he's not talented. I'm sorry, but it's just he doesn't have talent. Less than mediocre rhymes. The beats are forgettable. A massive problem is, you know, he has nothing interesting to say. The album is just full of stereotypical rap subjects like I got money and I'm so cool and I'm in the club. He continuously try to bring up the fact that he's portrayed in the media negatively but it's like well who gives a shit nobody cares like um everyone else you're, you're very wealthy and rich yeah and famous yeah you know? everyone has problems so it, it, it gets tiresome after that and also the sounds of it comparing back to black with with k-fed's album like playing with fire it's just sounds just like mid 2000s it hasn't aged well you know but if you compare that to Back to Black, it is timeless. The stuff that they did with production, things like a spring reverb to her vocals and drums gives um, an illusion of space. And it's heavily featured like in surf and blues music. And we talked about that in our previous episode with uh, Smash Mouth and Astro, Astro Lounge and stuff. The thing with you can't take away from Amy, she is super talented. Her voice is so unique. And her voice fits in perfectly with that retro sound. I mean, I know, and, and that album Frank, it was more jazzy. And she sounds great on that too, but she sounds perfect on this sound, on this uh, on this album and the sound that they're trying to create. I think the production is great. Total props to Mark Ronson. Maybe like a, a smaller factor is the fact that it's this English girl doing this blue eye soul music with with a beautiful voice, and she's so emotional and honest in her lyrics. I think. That's why this album was so successful and continues to be successful and continues to be praised. Very well said. I wanted to just clear up my maths uh, from earlier. I got it wrong. The difference in album sales means that 0.001% of the people that bought Back to Black also bought Playing With Fire. Oh. That's the that's the, the levels. I want to know if there are any people that own both albums and what are they like? What is their life like? Why did you choose these two albums to purchase? <laughs> We're going to wrap things up. And we always like to suggest a song. If you're a, a listener and you want to check out these albums, Matt, I would love for you to choose a song from each album that you would recommend that captures the spirit of both albums. Okay. Uh, well, I have to go with You Know I'm No Good from back... Yeah, that, uh, I wanted to yeah, pick that. Yeah, sorry. And, mm. um, yeah, me too. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> well, I have to recommend a song. You have to. Just, what what captures the spirit of playing the oh, fire? Oh man, probably. Um, oh, God, this is terrible. Um, snap. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, Pedro. <laughs> Off uh, Amy's album, I'm going to say the title track, "Back to Black," uh, just because it's um expresses her feelings of hurt the bitterness for a boyfriend who has left her, but it does touch on those subjects of her addictions, which I think, you know, if you think about Amy Winehouse, those things are so synonymous with her that you just have to talk about it. So I'm going to choose that one. And then with, with Mr. K fed, fuck it's, it's, there's so many bad, bad songs on this album to choose from, but, um, I guess I'm going to say America's most hated just because that's just a common theme mm. on this album as of him just being, you know, oh, everyone hates me. But you know what? I'm in the club and I'm sick and I got bitches and all this garbage. So, um, yeah, America's most hated, I think, is the most indicative of uh, K-Fed's playing with fire. <laughs> Great choice. Yeah, for Amy, I love, you know, I'm no good. Makes me think of my high school girlfriend. I was actually like, during I was listening to the album, like, oh, maybe I should text her. Just see what she's up to. Like, it's not going to hurt. I'm just going to just text her. I had to throw my phone across the room. <laughs> like, nope, nope, bad idea. I'm going to go with Tears Dry on their own. Fuck both of you guys. It's a good mm -hmm. song. For the K-Fed album, I'm going to go with Kept On Talking, or is it Keep On Talking? Kept On Talking. It has a nice sample Really cool hook. One of the only things I enjoyed on the album. Definitely check it out. 
That just about does it for the episode. But before we go, Matt, I'd love if you could give a little plug for Live from the Beach Bungalow and uh, tell us what's coming up in your life. Oh, yeah, that would be great. So if you if you guys are interested in the show, we're available anywhere you can find podcasts. You can hit us up at beachbungalowlive.com or you hit us up on Instagram at um, Live from the Beach Bungalow, Twitter at Bungalow Live Pod. We're also on Facebook and um, we're going to actually uh, be having these guys on hopefully soon. Uh, so look forward to that. You have to check that out. And as far as my life, uh, I'm looking forward to eventually working again. I haven't worked because of COVID. Oh, that so, would be nice, yeah, man. Income that would be, nice. be great. But hmm. otherwise, I'm just enjoying going on some some cool podcasts, meeting some cool new people. And uh, yeah, so it, it's all good, man. It was, it was great meeting you guys. Yeah, you as well. Yeah. Let's do it again sometime, man. Thanks so much. And we'll be back later. Bye. We'll be back next week. Peace. Hey guys, Judd from the podcast here. Don't know why I'm introducing myself, you just listened to an hour of me talking. I would really love not only for you to rate, like, and subscribe our podcast when albums collide, but I'd also love for you to check out and do the same for Live from the Beach Bungalow, Matt's podcast. Huge thanks to him coming on. They're a hilarious podcast, uh, one of my favourites, and uh, a little birdie tells me there's going to be two very familiar voices coming up on one of their future episodes. (laughs) It's us. So definitely go and check it out. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, Live from the Beach Bungalow. We will see you next week. Take care, stay safe.